Morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Glad you're, you're here with us. Um, you may have heard a rumor that I was sickened in the hospital, and I just want to uh, tell you the, the quick gist of this. I went to the hospital. I didn't get admitted to the hospital. I had to go to the urgent care, and then I had to go back to, to um, give some, some uh, labs, blood, and, and things like that. And so that's why I was back at the hospital yesterday. In case you heard, Josh is back at the hospital. It's not because I was admitted in the hospital, nor did I have to stay there yesterday. I went to the urgent care on Friday night for some uh, concerns that I was having. I had a few uh, strange symptoms, and, and so, but I'm fine. As far as I can tell, I'm fine. I'll let you know if I'm not fine. I got some, uh, I'll, I'll, I've got some tests that I'm going to be um, going to do in the next week. And um, so I do appreciate the prayers. It is encouraging to me when people are praying. Uh, if you're sick um, and you want to keep it yourself, I'd encourage you to, to not do that and just to share it with others to be praying for you. So I do appreciate the prayers. Thanks for praying. As far as I can tell, and, as far, and I've been recovering from the flu last week, and so I'm, I'm feeling the fatigue from that still. But uh, these other things, I'm fine as far as I can tell. So um, I want to make sure you knew that because so, I've been getting texts, my wife and I have. So, hey, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll head into this morning's message. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives and our church. Just thank you for your word, that we can look to it right now, God, and give us, uh, that you can give us uh, truth and uh, timeless truth. Thank you that your word stands forever. And, Lord, we pray that you would open up our eyes to what you want to say to us this morning. Lord, help us to get our hearts in the right place and just our attitudes in the right place as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, pull out that listening guide. We're going to be eventually getting over to Romans chapter 13. Uh, we'll look at a passage in Isaiah chapter 40 in a moment. But we're, we're two weeks into this message series called uh, God and Politics. It's created somewhat of a buzz. This whole subject really does pique our interest. And it, it is... It's because the leaders who get into office have an impact on our lives. That's why this is so important. This will impact, whichever leader gets into to office will impact you know, our, our culture, our, our world, your employment, your income, uh, many of our freedoms. Uh, so this is, this is truly an important subject. It's, it's all over the news right now, and it will be for quite some time. It's only going to continue to build. We've got about... We've got a few days plus eight months until we have our country's general election. And so, now the common wisdom in our society is that it's never a good idea to mix religion and, and politics. And so, here's, here's a picture for you. It's a recipe for disaster to do this. And so, well, in this series, we're not going to mix these two up in order to create some new idea. So our, my, my, my plan and our attempt here is not in order to mix a little God, mix a little politics in order to form something new in this cauldron that we're stirring up. No, really what we're doing is we're going to look at how is God working in and through governments to achieve His purpose in history. And then how are we to respond to that? How are we to approach this whole season of, of what's going on in our country? Last week we began this series by looking at how politicians, they come and go, they rise and fall. God raises one up, brings one down. And so, they serve a brief term. They serve a brief term. Our president will, will serve four years or eight years if re-elected. So, after that, they move off the scene. And so, 
God's people, we're commanded not to put our hope in the leader. We're commanded to put our hope in God who's always our hope and our help. And so we looked at Psalm 146 and just kind of walked through the perspective on the fact that God can be trusted. He alone is our only real hope. And today what I want to do is I want to build on last week's perspective that earthly leaders are our mere mortal humans. I want to build on that and take another step by looking at how people and their ideas also come and go. So, not just the fact that they come and go, but their ideas, they come and go. In fact, many of the things that our leaders say changes through the years. Their ideas get recycled. Some ideas just, they flat out go a different direction. And so what we need is a truth and a standard that can be trusted. And nations need that. Nations need a strong foundation where they can build their law, their laws, their government upon. We desperately need that here in America. We need a law outside of ourselves to guide us. Like a compass that would guide us to true north and give direction for our lives. We, na- we need that kind of standard and that, that type of truth. 2,700 years ago, God used a prophet named Isaiah. and He was, he was speaking a, a message of hope through this prophet. And this was a message given to some confused and anxious Israelites. And their nation was in the middle of a major turmoil. They were being disciplined from the Lord. And God delivers a message of comfort through Isaiah. It's packed with perspective. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. It says, A voice says, and this is God speaking to Isaiah, speaking through Isaiah. He says, A voice says, Cry. So God says, Cry. And Isaiah said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. So he's making this comparison that to our, to our frailty, to our mortality. And then he says this, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God, of our God, will stand forever. God's truth, the Bible, remains forever. God's truth is not going to be shaken. Many, many of my ideas have withered when they're tested by life's experience. The heat of life's experiences have withered some of my best ideas. Some of yours as well. You had this great plan, this great idea, this maybe a scheme, and it just it, it shriveled up when life <laughs> intersected with it. Maybe the, the idea you had just did not have... Um, Maybe it wasn't well thought through. I thought to myself after seeing many of my plans unravel, I thought, man, I kind of imagined that playing out a little differently. Put a lot of time into that. I, I, we planned that. We put a lot of resources into that. I imagined that was going to go way different than it, than it just did. And I've seen ideas just fall apart. Now Isaiah, what he's saying is that God's Word stands the test time and time again if you'll build your life on it. Scripture is like this straight line that we can measure all of life to. Everything can kind of be evaluated in light light of Scripture. If we'll get our minds around it. If we'll really get into it for ourselves and aim to understand it. We We can figure out, man, how does this idea that I've got square with what God says? Now, I've built a few fences. And the first, the first one I built, uh, I built by myself, and I kind of read up on what I needed to do, and, and I thought I had a plan, and, and so basically I started, I laid out, you know, 
I laid out a line and I, uh, I marked some, some spots in the ground. I started digging holes, mixing, pouring concrete, setting posts. Um, you know, and at one point after I set all my posts, I took a step back and I, and I looked at my, my posts and what would be my fence and I'm, I was pretty, pretty pleased with the whole thing. And I was, I was, wow, I did that. Felt really good. And, uh, until I got close to the fence and I looked this way, down line, and I could see this. <laughs> I'm like, what happened? Well, what you need to do when you're building a fence is you want to set your first, your, your end posts. You want to take a line and attach it to those end posts. And then you, you know, you make sure that you're, because what I had done was I marked on the ground. Well, once you start digging, your marking goes away. So then I'm just like imagining, well, I think I'm in the middle pretty much and, and I'm, I'm boring out this hole. And, and then you're just kind of trying to guide a center with your eyeball. And, and I was off. And when I looked down the line and, and, and the fence is still standing, I mean, it, I, I didn't stop. I should have just started over. But I, I was like, no, I'm finishing. I'm going to correct this somehow. <laughs> Bad idea. So, I mean, but if you stand back, it looks pretty good. But if you get up close and you look, that fence in Pomona right now is just like, woo <laughs> And uh, I was building a crooked fence. You know, I know now I needed to mark a line and attach it to those posts. And I didn't do that. Without a straight line, without a straight line, what do we do is we wander towards the life that we want. Without a straight line, we wander towards the life that we want, not what God wants. But sadly, the role of the Bible, this, this truth, God's Word, the role of the Bible in our country has dramatically shifted. Now, here, here's our key point of perspective this morning. It's at the top of your listening guide. It's this. It's that there's a vital connection between absolute truth and the strength of the government, or and the strength of a society for the good of its people. There's this vital connection. We need to understand this link. As we disconnect these in our minds, if we disconnect truth in our minds, then there's an impact on our society. As the politicians and the leaders of our country disconnect truths, timeless truths from our laws, there can be huge consequences as a society. I'd like to show you a brief video clip from uh, a professor. His name is Clay Christensen. He's a professor. He lays out the connection between religion and democracy. Christensen is a business administration professor from the Harvest, 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 Harvard, Harvard Business School. And so let's take a look at what he has to say. We'll, we'll look back at this in a second. Some time ago, I had a conversation with a Marxist economist from China. He was coming to the end of a Fulbright Fellowship here in Boston. But I asked him if he had learned anything that was surprising or unexpected. And without any hesitation, he said, yeah. I had no idea how critical religion is to the functioning of democracy. The reason why democracy works, he said, is not because the government was designed to oversee what everybody does. 
but rather democracy works because most people, most of the time, voluntarily choose to obey the law. And in your past, most Americans attended a church or synagogue every week, and they were taught there by people who they respected. My friend went on to say that Americans followed these rules because they had come to believe that they weren't just accountable to society, they were accountable to God. My Chinese friend heightened a vague but nagging concern I've harbored inside that as religion loses its influence over the lives of Americans, what will happen to our democracy? Where are the institutions that are going to teach the next generation of Americans that they too need to voluntarily choose to obey the laws? Because if you take away religion, you can't hire enough police. Sobering statement there at the end, right? Take away religion, you take away a standard, you cannot hire enough police. A country's source of truth determines its direction, its stability, its health, and ultimately it will determine its future. It's essential that we have a reliable source to draw from that's outside of ourselves. Here's the problem. We are sliding as a society and as a country towards relativism in our country. And that, that relativism is this rapidly spreading approach to truth. And it's this. Relativism defined as this. It's the doctrine that knowledge, that truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context and are not absolute. Relativism says there are no absolutes. One of the dangers and the damage done by relativism is that you never will draw conclusions on a matter. There, there are actually biases against deciding once and for all and being dogmatic. Dogmatic is to have a set of beliefs, to have a set of principles as convictions. If you're a dogmatic person, you're seen as a bad person in our society. But then, if you never decide, you end up having to decide over and over and over regarding the issues of our day. Another problem is the lack of stability and unity in a society when everyone is just deciding what's right or wrong in their own mind. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine going to the doctor. This has nothing to do with me. Imagine going to the doctor and receiving a firm diagnosis of diabetes. Okay? I just heard a presentation where the speaker, he was talking about relativism and he used this. He said, imagine going to the doctor and receiving a firm diagnosis of diabetes. He painted the scenario of getting the diagnosis and then telling the doctor something like this. Well, doc, you have a right to your own opinion, but I don't agree. And I really like donuts. Now, denying that truth and refusing to believe it does not change the reality that is true. It doesn't change that reality. Without an acceptance of truth, the future is extremely uncertain. And when it comes to our country, this is our great concern. We have been eliminating the value of absolute truth from our education, from our politics, from our thinking. And we need to do whatever we can to bring God's truth back into the open in our country, in a wise and in a helpful way. And as Christ followers, as the political, we're, we're scanning the political landscape. We, we look to the present and we, we look to the future with confidence because we know the one who is directing history to fulfill his purposes. 
and His plans. He's working. God is working in and through governments to accomplish His plan. This is what we find out as we study Scripture, is that God establishes all authority and He works out His plans through it. Look at Romans chapter 13. I want to look at this with you. Romans 13 is kind of the passage of Scripture where Paul, he's writing to the church in Rome. Rome is a hostile government towards Christians. Uh, there, there are the emperor at this point is Nero. He is the emperor known for lighting up Christians in his garden. Lighting his garden with Christians on, on stakes. They were called human torches. There was persecution among the Christians in the first century at this point. And Paul, the church leader, he's writing to strengthen these Christians. Now, Rome is one of the most foundational uh, and theological letters that you'll find. But in, verse, in chapter 13, he's talking specifically and directly about government. And this, this can apply to other areas, and I'll apply it broadly as well, but he's, he's specifically talking about how we relate to the government. And the government that he's writing about is a hostile government towards Christians. So look at what he says, Romans 13, verse 1. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. He's actually, you know, what about Nero? Well, Nero, the emperor at that point, he's saying, he's been installed there. God's instituted him to lead at this time in history. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. God, he's ruling the world through the authority that he's put into place. And, and that's, that's from rulers of the government. That's from rulers of, uh, you know, yeah, nations, states, the leaders of states, bosses at work. Those are leaders. Those are authority that God has put in place in your life. The heads of families. If you lead a larger organization, either in government or business or in church or nonprofit, you lead it through leaders of smaller organizations of people, smaller groups of people. This is what God has chosen to do in ruling the world. He rules the world through leaders that He puts in place, both good leaders and bad leaders. Again, the Roman emperor at this time, he was not a benevolent ruler. In fact, we can handle the present and the future with an upbeat attitude because of the implication here in this passage that God... Whoever gets elected in November is the one that God will decide. He'll put that person in place. Nero, in the first century, God had a purpose. I, don't, I can't tell you all of the reasons, but I do know that Christianity spread like wildfire under persecution in the first century. Christians were bold with their faith. Christians... They were looking to their heavenly home. And they had a perspective on earth. And they had a job and a mission to fulfill. And you, you can guarantee that persecution kept many, many people laser focused on what God wanted them to do with their lives. We, we don't know what God is doing right now in this time of history with the, leader, the next leader that he'll put in place or what the next 50 years will hold. But this passage, from it, we can gain a few things. Number one, I need to show this. I need to show respect for the person in the position of authority, out of reverence for God. You and I, we need to do this. We need to begin to prepare our hearts to show respect for the next leader of our country. We need to pray. 
you know, anytime I pray for someone, I, my heart, I, I begin to care for them. <laughs> you know, Scripture says pray for your enemies. As I pray for people, it, kinda, I, it, it, it can soften a hardened heart towards a person that I've been opposed to. And so, we need to pray for our leaders. But we need to show respect. This, this is very critical in the way that we prepare ourselves for the general election. Number two, I can trust that the Lord will be faithful to work out His plan for good to us, no matter what. doesn't always look... The path of getting to what He decides is good is not always the path that I would have planned out. The way God weaves His sovereign power to do what He wants to do to direct history with, and then with my own actions and choices, the way that those things weave together God's power and my choices, that's a mystery to me. But He does so. I don't have an excuse to just sit back on autopilot mode and disengage while He reigns. I need to engage. And so this third point, I have an active role to play as one who bears His name in the society that I live in. You and I, we, we need to play a role in this culture. And we're going to look more specifically at how to have an active role next week. Today, we're working on gaining just the right understanding of how this first point, how, how does this connection between truth and the strength of a society work? How does that work in a democracy? We live in a democracy which gives each citizen a very important role. In the Gettysburg Address, Abraham Lincoln he concluded his speech after this bloody the battle of Gettysburg with a well-known phrase. And he's trying to get perspective after the battle that just caused many people to lose their lives. He said this, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. And that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. This means that in America, each citizen has the power to influence the government. It's a privilege of ours. This is why Christensen, that, that business, that Harvard business professor, this is why he's making his point. We need transcendent truth to draw from. More than we know. We need transcendent truth to draw from. The way God works, though, he always packages privilege with responsibility. This is how he works. Our power as American citizens gives us a responsibility to do everything we can to influence our government for good. Our mode of government has given, our, our form of government has given us unprecedented freedom and blessing in the history of our country. We're not a very old country, but we've experienced tremendous blessing from God through our leaders. We've experienced for decades and decades our country, you know, there's just been, there's been so much good that you and I have been able to experience. And as I said earlier though, Jesus' followers must understand there's a connection between truth and that blessing. If we want that to remain, we need to understand what, what's the role, God, that you want me to play? Look at, look at verse 4 now. Verse 4 on the back side. If you're listening, God says, for he, speaking of the, the leader, the one in authority, for he's God's servant for your good. So this, whoever we elect as a country is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. 
You know, a couple of motivations here. Why, why should I follow the laws? Why should I submit and honor? Well, because He has the ability to punish me. And then God speaks to me and He prompts me to stay also in line with the leader. Verse 6 says, For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. We respect the one that God puts in place out of, out of respect for the office and the role that God has assigned them to play. Now we do best, we do best as a country when government matches up with God's unchanging truth. We've experienced this. But, this is not a long-term um, promise that we're always going to have the blessing we've experienced. One of God's main purposes for a government, though, is it's to set the cultural framework that will be good for people under its authority and to draw the boundary for punishment when things are, are wrong. When wrong is done, the leaders will draw that boundary. Now, to be subject to them, it means we put ourselves willingly under its authority. We obey its laws, which is what the framework is really made of. God, He has set the limits on the authority of the government. We're going to look more at that last week. What are those limits? Like, how far do we need to follow? We're commanded to be in subjection to it in every way it stays inside the limits that God sets. Like I said, we'll look at that next week. But laws always make good or make judgments about what is best for people. I, I, now, I've heard a statement, and you've probably heard this as well. The statement is, you can't legislate morality. Now, Chuck Colson, he disagrees with that statement. He says that this popular idea that you can't legislate morality, he says that's a myth. Look at what Colson writes. He, said, he wrote, Morality is legislated every day from the vantage point of one value system or another. The question is not whether we will legislate morality, but whose morality will we legislate? Or we will legislate. We've shifted in our country to an extreme focus on the individual in America. And this includes the value that every person has the right to define morality for themselves. This is where we're heading as a country. However, for democracy to work, we must draw on a set of shared truths and values that are outside of any one person. There, there needs to be laws, there needs to be values that transcend our thinking the focus on, on the individual that we experience now has really created a current of relativism in our country. And what that's doing is relativism is driving values out of the public square because they're seen as divisive, they're seen as, as... And we see that. We see how our country is becoming divided over issues like, like moral issues. And, and what it's creating is an unstable, a directionless country pulled in a variety of, 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 of directions. Now, when our country was founded, the shared set of truths and values, those were found in the Bible and based in Judeo-Christian roots. Today, though, the general consensus has kicked God out of politics and pretty much booted Him out of the public square. He's not welcome there. The Bible's no longer where we're drawing from as a country. Now, the trouble with this move, move is that with transcendent laws gone... That's what gives us the roots to our virtue. And when we don't have these roots, we end up making poor, poor choices. For instance, when we take away virtue as a qualification for serving in public office, 
This is not a wise thing. Think about it. If a man is unfaithful to his wife, why should we trust him to be faithful to his duties in office? If he breaks one vow, why not another? Well, where do you get the the standard of virtue? Where do you get that from? Well, you get that from a, a set of transcendent beliefs. So what this means is we have a crucial role to play in politics. It starts with us being informed of what does the Bible say? What are those transcendent beliefs? What does God say about these different issues? What does God say about virtue of rulers? And it continues by knowing God's perspective on several issues that really are weakening the framework of our society if, we, if, if our nation allows certain changes. Now, Supreme Court Justice Scalia, we talked about, he passed away recently. He once advised college students that they should understand a law higher than their own consciences. Look at what he said. More important than your obligation to follow your conscience, he warned, or at least prior to it, is your obligation to form your conscience correctly. We need to consider the issues. We need to think them through. We need to investigate. What is it that the Bible actually says? And then we need to draw conclusions, developing convictions about what's true and what's not. G.K. Chesterton, he was an English writer and theologian, he once said this. He said that dogma does not mean the absence of thought, but the end result of it. It's the end result of thought. Dogma is a, a set of beliefs or a set of principles. It's your convictions. To be a dogmatic person, again, it's, 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 it's a way to be polarized from the group in our, in our society. But our political leaders are making laws and the courts are deciding on matters that create the vital framework of our country. And we need to know what is right from God's perspective. What is the standard that is true? And so what we've done is we've provided you with a handout. You can pull this out of your listening guide. It says God and politics. And we want you to start investigating. What does the Bible teach on these issues? What about the core issues? We need to understand how the decisions being made and the laws being established, they impact the good of of the people in our country so that we can make our voice heard at times. So I've listed out several passages related to the family, to sexuality, to passages related to the protection of life. And we just we must know what God's word says on these matters because if we try to change the definition of things like marriage according to God, it creates a very unstable society. This is proven in history, and it's not good for the society at large. So what what we need to do is we we must aim to really elect leaders who focus on the rights of in, on, on the rights of on the right of individuals to define marriage. And th- things like gender, we need to make sure that they are, they're, they're drawing from trusted sources. They're going to establish policies and laws that may do harm, not good, for people. And so Christ's followers, we can't let the foundation of our country slide and erode without doing our part to try to restore it. But, but the first thing is just committing to grasp God's truth about about these different matters and then drawing conclusions. First, dig in for yourself. Get to know what does God's Word actually say and then draw some conclusions, develop convictions, and then do your part to influence government for good. First, through your vote in November and then through other means available. We'll, we'll look more next week at, at some thoughts on that. I want to invite Cody and our, our worship team to join me back here up on the stage.
Um, <clears throat> would you take out that, that connection card? I want to draw your attention to the next steps. On the back of the connection card, one of the most important steps we can take right now is prayer. Is to pray faithfully. Last week I said, would you pray weekly? Would you set up a reminder to pray weekly for, for our leaders? For the person that God will appoint to lead our country forward? Will we just be committed to pray for them? First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-3 through three is a good passage to look at. really commands us to be praying for our leaders. And then second, study the passages on that sheet. Look at the key issues. Start getting your mind around some of these issues so you're uh, more informed on what the Scripture teaches in this area. I want to I pray as we wrap up our time together. So let, let's, let's do that. Father, thank you again for your word. And God, we do see this link between your truths and the health of a, of a society. We're thankful, Lord. We are grateful to leaders of our country who established America. We're aiming to build on your truth we've experienced your blessing through that but God as relativism is pulling our culture in a different direction we we do have concern Lord for where our country is heading maybe heading in the future but one thing we know is that we can set our hope on you you're faithful your word will stand forever Lord help us to engage with you Lord and not just uh, naively approach the subjects of our day God we get really riled up and rattled with our own opinions with our own emotions and we fail to really look at what you have said so God help us to be motivated Lord to engage with you with your word in these important important topics Pray for each person here that the way you're interacting with them in, in, in real life right now. There's many things, Lord, going on in our congregation. And so, Lord, I just pray that each person here would experience your presence, your help, your comfort, your guidance. Pray that people would also experience um, genuine relationships that really breathe life into us. And we thank you for the way that we were able to do that here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.